morning, Kent Cove. It's good to see you all. How are we all doing? You're good. It's always so bright. I can never really see faces except for these very close ones. Um, this morning we continue our series on the Lord's Prayer, and we're reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and it reads like this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So I don't know about you, but when I think of temptation, there are a lot of different images that come to mind and a lot of different thoughts. But one of them, and perhaps this is because somewhere inside me I am still just a teenage boy, um, one of those images is from one of my favorite movies from high school, which is entirely inappropriate for a sermon illustration, but Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And there's a particular scene in this movie where one of the knights who is seeking the Holy Grail comes to a castle that is filled with peril. It is filled with temptation. And his response is to say, maybe just a little peril. I can handle just a little peril, right? That tends to be, I think, sometimes our attitude towards temptations, or at least some temptations. Well, I can take a little bit of temptation here, not so much over here, right? And the other thing that's interesting about temptation, when you think about it, I, at least in my mind, when we think about temptations, we usually go to the more, shall we say, illicit temptations. We think of the things that are naughty, right? Uh, we don't often think of, or perhaps we don't immediately think of, other temptations that in some ways are at least as, if not more, damaging to the soul as what we were taught were the naughty ones, right? And so when we think about what does it mean when we pray this prayer, lead me not, or lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Now a couple of things before we get into these verses this morning, I want to point out a couple of uh, just pieces that are interesting. We'll, you'll notice that we've been bouncing back and forth in this series between the text in Matthew 6 where Jesus has the, teaches the Lord's Prayer and this text in Luke 11 where Luke has Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer. And there are some differences Right? And there are also some big differences in the text in that we add a whole sentence at the end that Jesus doesn't, that the Gospels don't have. So um, we add the, the doxology for the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever and ever. Amen, right? 
that's not in the prayer that Jesus taught us. That the church has added that over the centuries. We also note that there are some different ways of saying. We talked earlier about the difference between forgive us our sins and forgive us our debts. And what, that, what things that we might learn from those differences. And this morning we see this, depending on what tradition you grew up in, you might have grown up saying, uh, lead us not into temptation or lead us not into the time of trial, right? Or... Um, uh, deliver us from evil or the evil one. Uh, subtle differences. But there are some important things to think about. And really what they show, I think, is not so much the intent of Jesus as the weakness of the English language. Right? So in some uh, spots, the English language just uh, doesn't have quite the same punch that other languages do. And so this morning, as we think about what it means when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we have to stop and think about, well, what do we mean by temptation? What is the word that's being used here? And I know sometimes we in the church, we can get kind of, especially if you're like me and you're a theology geek, you can get kind of wound up about these little, temp- these little words the difference in the original language. And it can make us sound really smart to say, well, in the original language, it says this, right? Uh, But sometimes it really is important for us to stop and think about not just the translation that we read, because newsflash, the New Testament was not written in English, much less 21st century American English, right? And so we have to do some work and think about what the words that we're saying actually mean. And so the word that's used here for temptation um, can also mean test, which is why sometimes, depending on what translation of the scriptures you're reading, you might read, save us from the time of trial, or deliver us, or um, lead us not into temptation. And the problem comes for us is that Temptation, uh, as we've already talked about, has different connotations. And we can get stuck in different places there. And we also want to be careful to say that, of course, because Scripture tells us in other places, that, of course, God does not tempt. Right? Which would mean that, well, so why are we praying that then? Well, obviously, if God, God does not tempt people, then then he wouldn't lead us into a place of temptation. So we have to think about what this means. So basically what we're praying here, lead us not in temptation. We're not implying that God would entice us to do evil. We're asking that God would, in when we are tested, which is different than being tempted, that we would not fail, that we would not fall into temptation. So there are some other places in the Gospels where this word is used, and it's translated differently. So if you go ahead to Luke 22, where Jesus is in the garden, you remember this part of the story, Jesus, it's, uh, Jesus has celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, 
and he's asked the disciples to pray with them. And what happens? They fall asleep, right? And so in verse 46 of chapter 22 in Luke, Jesus comes and finds them asleep, and he wakes them up, and he says, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Same word, time of trial, is the same word, lead us not into temptation. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what we're actually saying is lead us not into the time of trial or when we are in that trial that we might not fall to temptation and um, the perils and the sin that often comes from being tested. You see, there are other Jewish prayers that, the, that were said every day that basically say, let us, lead us not into testing, or let us not sin when tested. So the idea is not so much that we not be tested, because as Jesus has promised in other places in the Gospels, we will be tested. It's that when we are tested, that we would not fall into sin. Now, all of this is great, right? Good background, important to know, But the real question for us is, when we think about it, is where might we fall into temptation? What does the time of trial look like for us? And as always, I want to think about this both from a personal point of view, that is how it affects us as individuals, and then also how it affects us as a community. Because one of my central beliefs as a pastor is that we do not practice be Christians by ourselves. We do it as community. The Christian faith is not an individual faith. It is a communal faith. That is why so many times in the New Testament when Paul describes the church, he describes it as a body with many parts. Right? It's, it's not something we do alone. It's something we do together. And so we want to think about if we're praying that we not be led into temptation, I want to think about, well, what might temptation look like for us as individuals, but also what might it look like for us as the church? Now, as we talked about it in the beginning, falling into temptation in the personal side is... You know, we can think of any number of lists of vices where we can get tripped up, right? We might be given to anger, greed, control, unforgiveness, sexual sin, pride, all kinds of different ways that individually we can fall into sin, right? And we recognize that uh, there are many things that in and of themselves, they're benign, they're not harmful, but because of our relationship to them, they are harmful to us, right? Or things even that are not expressly forbidden in Scripture, but that for me might cause me to, to fall into temptation, right? For some, that might be, I mean, it, it can be any of those things that we just listed, could be relationships, it could be substances, it could be food, it could be money, 
right? All of those things can become, if our relationship with them is unhealthy, can become problematic and sinful for us. So what posture might we take that makes it less likely that we will succumb to the time of trial? That that time of trial will lead us into sin? Well, I think as I was reflecting on this, there are a lot of different practices and ways that we can prepare ourselves or that we can be, make ourselves ready for that. There's prayer itself, which that's why we've been talking about this idea that why did Jesus teach us to pray? It's, it's so that we would have communion with God, right? So that we would be uh, being formed into the way of Jesus. Last week we talked about forgiveness. And I think forgiveness actually is one of those places where um, if we learn a life of forgiveness, if we learn a life of grace, if we allow that grace that we talked about last week, that the forgiveness of God to be so richly present in our lives, that's one way that we prepare ourselves for the time of trial. How does that work? Well, my sense is that people who operate out of grace, that is, people who have been transformed by the grace of God and have and keep that, as Martin Luther used to say, ever before your face. The recognition that I, I am a sinner and I am forgiven by the grace of God. People who operate out of that kind of graceful humility are less likely in, to fall into temptation. They're less likely to fall into the temptations of anger and greed and all of those different things that we listed because they recognize that they have been redeemed by grace. They remember it. They keep it in front of them, not in some self-flagellating way, but in a, in a, heart, uh, in a grateful way. So that every time they come into conflict with someone or every time they come into that time of trial, that grace is so ever-present in their life that they naturally respond in a way that, that uh, helps them to not fall into temptation. We've, our, we've mentioned that the prayer itself that Jesus taught us, you know, the, the very form of it helps form us into that kind of person. We started with, uh, it reminds us who God is, that God is holy. Right? That his kingdom is the point. And then we move to our needs. So God first, us second. Those are all ways that we do that, that we deal with temptation or the time of trial as individuals. Now here's the hard part. When we start to talk about our sin as a body our sin as a community, our sin, or, or our temptation as the church, it, it gets a little stickier. Because in here, I want to I just counsel you to, to try to resist this temptation. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, 
as I talk about this stuff. Because it's very easy when we talk about the, the temptations that the church might fall into for us to take a posture of, well, that's not me. Well, I don't do that. It's not my problem. I, I'm not that way. I don't think that, right? And so what happens then is that we never deal with the challenges and the temptation that the church might fall into. Now, it's going to start to get a little itchy in here right about now. As we all know, we just came through another election week. Another election day. And one of the challenges in, the, in this season in our national life, one of the temptations that the church faces, right, in this season is Christian nationalism. It's a temptation that, that kind of winds together politics and, and temporal power and the church and, and we want to just, you know, we think we can do so much good and, and it just becomes this kind of insidious soup that very quickly ends us up somewhere where we never intended to be. And this, unfortunately, is very present in the church in our age. This idea or belief that temporal power will bring about God's kingdom. And the church, friends, in America is in very real danger from this temptation. And has even in certain places begun to fall to that temptation. I see and hear people and pastors, regrettably, who have fallen wholesale into this temptation of power. Thinking that if we uh, align with this party or that party or, or this thinking or that thinking, that then we will somehow you know, bring God's kingdom more in fullness through that power. And yet, uh, if you read church history carefully, you will see that every single time that the church gets in bed with government, the church loses. And doesn't, it doesn't just lose power, it loses witness. Because as one of our former leaders, former presidents of our denomination once said, we do not follow an elephant or a donkey, but a lamb. We do not follow an elephant or a donkey, but a lamb. I love that, but here's the thing. Here's where it gets tricky, friends. It's easy for us to, to fool ourselves, to think, well, I'm not beholden to any party. I've heard so many people say that. I've said it myself, right? But what about an ideology? You see, you can, you can fall prey you can fall into the temptation of Christian nationalism without being a registered Republican or a Democrat. Right? We can, we can fall into that by our, 
by our ideology, by, uh, well, I'm a fiscal conservative, and so therefore I will support, you know, this party, whatever they do, whoever they nominate, whatever horrible things they say or do, I will support because it supports my ideology, right? Or the reverse, you know? This party will support, you, you understand what I'm saying? We can hear something about party and, and excuse ourselves, where it gets really sticky is when we start to examine our ideology, when we start to examine our political philosophy, and whether or not we're evaluating that through the lens of Jesus or through the lens of some other categories. Fiscal conservatism, social libertarianism, whatever it might be. We must examine our, our, our politics and our understanding of where we fit in that uh, particular reality through the lens of Jesus and Scripture and nothing else. And that takes work because I guarantee you, I guarantee you that your lenses are clouded. Your lenses are clouded by where you were raised, by how you were educated, by the, by the people you listened to, all of those things. We have to be aware of that so that we might not fall in the time of temptation. So the Lord's Prayer offers us this way of entering in and recognizing where those things might be and how it is that we might be prepared to face that time of trial. But it also, in that final line, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one, reminds us that in the end, we are helpless before the devil and before the schemes of the world, and Jesus alone can deliver us. You know, this whole portion of the prayer is similar to a standardized Jewish morning and evening prayer that goes like this. Bring me not into the power of sin and not into the power of guilt and not into the power of temptation and not into the power of anything shameful. Brothers and sisters, how do we best prepare ourselves for the time of trial? How do we best pray Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. I believe that the primary or one of the primary tools or ways that we have of living into that part of the prayer is communion with God. In prayer and in silence and in communal worship. Which is why this morning we've spent some extended time in worship. And why we will conclude this morning with some, some more uh, communal worship. Brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that as we lean into becoming people in the way of Jesus, that we would allow this prayer that he gave us so deeply form us that indeed we would know 
that he is not leading us into the time or into temptation and that he is delivering us from evil. Amen.